You're listening to AI Impressions with hosts Kate Dudzik, Eric Yensu, and John Diltz, a podcast for the curious where we explore the spaces between ones and zeros. <laughs> I'm kicking it off. <laughs> AI Impressions, next episode. Continuation yeah. for last episode. <laughs> last episode. And we were talking about, I was given my uh, biblical point point of view, like my favorite stories for me to, uh, my totem, as they say, from inception, you know? That's how I know what's up from now. Everybody's have to have a totem now. If you had a church, I would go to your church. Why not? It'd be cool. We talk about like movies and like, we'd be like, chilling, yeah. right? So like, I feel like it's so funny because um, like, there's always that like, uh, perspective of like the garden of Eden and all that kind of stuff. And like, from my perspective, that's all I want to get back to. I just want to be in the garden, freaking like <laughs> eating food, chilling out, not having to wear business clothes and Ooh, just like yeah. chilling. You know those what are, I mean? Those are the best moments of my day when I'm outside and my chickens are chasing me around because I'm turning something over that they want to eat. <laughs> you are such a chicken dad. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And this American dream quote unquote. Well, Eric, I feel like you would thrive where John lives. Oh, that's my goal. That's why I'm staying close to John over here, man. Maybe you guys need to think about coming down here instead of me coming up there. Oh, yeah. You know, I got space. Um, But we all have our purpose, you know, like I always, uh, yeah, we all have our purpose. That's why, um, I don't know, me, like, I'm not no, like, expert, but I always like my book. I love it. I love it. The stories are so good. The characters are so good. And when it comes to like the empire story and also like secretly, I'll tell you guys, I'm working on making these classical narratives in like an urban setting. So Ooh. people can kind of have like a certain perspective. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, um, yeah, some of the best characters in my opinion and like literary works are like come from like, definitely like originate from like whatever the bible and the bible tells things as like these are actually like historical figures what so i found really interesting oh sorry yeah. no go ahead well i was just gonna say um it reminds me of jane austen in a way because um she she wrote about her writings much later after they were published and she was like i'm surprised that people still like them because they were such an artifact of the time in which i wrote them she was surprised that they were still relevant and that I think it's so beautiful for you to say like, oh, like the stories and the teachings of the Bible, but in a different context, it's like, it is human. It is narrative. It is the stories we tell ourselves. Like oh, yeah. I'll argue anybody that's the best book, like in terms, like secularly, just as a book, because number one, yeah. best selling. All right. If you're going to go <laughs> to the numbers, if you're going to go to the numbers, money, bigger. <laughs> number two, number, number two, still relevant. Yeah. Still relevant. Still relevant. And number three, whether it's in the hands of the good or the wicked, definitely mm. the most powerful. You can like put it, you can like rule a nation by mm -hmm. by using this to like manipulate people or, or put things down because like that's oh, very archaic in terms of people trying to connect with like what their purpose is or what God says. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel like there's some sort of evangelist right now, like manipulating somebody by pointing to like, an obscure text yeah. in the Bible and saying like, well, this says this, 
and mm-hmm. you do this. And like a lot of people, like, you know, televangelists and all these kind of things. So like I would, and then also in terms of its uh, composition, in terms of its mm-hmm. composition, because it has, if we're going to like, okay, like, let's just, let me just keep iterating. Cause I could talk, about, I'm so passionate about this. I could talk about it all the time. So if it was, it's a legal book, it has the law of like what the tribe of Israel to do. It's a legal book. It's a history book. It's the only book that literally details the beginning of the world in like detail. It's the only book that does that. It also three, it's a book of prophecy. It tells you what will happen in the future? Number four, it has songs. King David with songs. Number five, it has like dietary. <laughs> okay, so John, you are bursting at the seams. The most famous character in the world, in it, which would be you just like, have a oh, point oh, there. Jesus, no, right? It's, it's so it's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I do consider myself secularly, a just as a just as a book. You know yeah, what I mean, John? Objectively like, looking at it, like oh yeah, like there's to me, I'm like that book is so good, and I like, and I'm a big book guy. But I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna create a book. Oh yeah, and also. My favorite, historically, <laughs> one thing to tell you, John. So the most modern, like we have different modern translations of the Bible now. Yeah. But in terms of how the King James Version was acquired, yeah. it was literally commissioned by a king. So it, they probably spent like $5 million, like actually making it with the best literary people coming to assemble this book. It's funny. I've actually looked now. into the the backstory of the King James myself. Isn't that um, crazy? Fascinating. I hired, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to say it, but the, like the one that stuck with me, you know, for whatever, you know, avenues of, of gray area it is, but it's like he hired like 50 of the best poets to put it together. You know, I've even heard some people say that his rationale was he kept falling asleep in church. Yeah. <laughs> some people say Shakespeare, Shakespeare even wrote uh, the yeah. translations of it and left his own code it's, in there. It's funny. I mean, I've, 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 I've read the book, you know, I, I think anyone who's grown up in Western culture probably has in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. um, be it through Judaism, Islam, whatever, there's, they're all similar in ways. Um, I've read the Quran as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself lean more toward Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, uh, you yeah. can see quite a beads on my arms. Um, mm-hmm. But it's to me, it's a spirituality and everything. And it's and, and it really kind of comes back into how we uh, kind of approach life. That's really in, in my mind. And as a technologist, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I went to a church when I was going through a really bad time when I was young, and it was right around, um, it was a non-denominational and I found this pastor who you, that he had a PhD in archeology. span He had done digs cool. in Israel and Egypt and stuff. So I sat in with him the one time and and he read about it, but he, he told it in, you know, okay, now let me translate this into the real world for you. And I love that because he found a way yeah. to merge the science in that book. You know, it didn't become a, a preach, but the one thing that he said that he said has stuck with me and I have taught God knows how many junior engineers this is um, Jesus's parable of the mustard seed. You know, the smallest seed known has, is, it, it creates one of the most hardy trees known. 
and, and that type of thing. And the idea that something so amazing and so powerful and potent can come out of something so small is really kind of a homily to, you know, software engineering. When you're doing something truly greenfield, this is just nothing but conversations written on the back of a napkin. It's like a mustard seed. It has mm -hmm. to start somewhere and everything. And it's, it's yeah. funny the way you go about it because I have used that for probably 20 plus years with, with juniors and mentorships. And even when I've taught, you know, I've, I've done a couple student teaching in some schools and, and those types of things, I've always mm -hmm. kind of led off with that at some point in it, just so, to, to understand the simple fact that, you know, even as a musician, I have to play one note. I have to write one function. I have yeah. to create a file, something like that. It all starts with a seed. It know. does. And I think that's really beautiful because, I mean, I'll, I'll get to my, actually, I was talking about the Bible last week, oddly enough. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because you do need to start somewhere. It was even the way with our podcast. You know, we we decided we wanted to do this. We wanted to make AI more accessible and understood from a multidisciplinary perspective. You know, we've been working in our respective fields for, you know, a decade at least, uh, each of us. Mm -hmm. Sorry, uh, my dog is barking right now, team. Uh, that's what you get for having a little dash in. He's like a doorbell. But I'd much rather that than like, you know, have him try to befriend an intruder or something, you know. Right. Uh, moral of the story, you know, uh, we started, we, we released our podcast, if you've been listening, without outros on them. And they have intros and they sound great. And I'm happy with them so far. I much would have rather have uh, Eric do them. His, his voice is better than mine, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, we got to start somewhere. We got to get it out somewhere. But, uh, you know, um, coming back to the Bible, interestingly enough, um, I, I, as a scientist, believe that we as human beings simply do not have the capacity to understand all things that could or could not exist. It's like the noumenal and phenomenal from Kantian philosophy. You know, there are things that we simply cannot understand. And then there are the things that we can understand. This was the distinction that Kant made. And the, the noumenal was, includes reality and existence because we cannot, as human beings, understand non-existence. That's not something we can conceptualize. And I think it's so beautiful looking back at this philosophy and kind of applying it to deities like God or whether you believe in polytheistic or monotheistic uh, expressions of religion, it doesn't really matter. To me, I believe that we don't have the capacity as humans to really understand quote unquote God or gods or the universe or whatever may or may not have created us. You know, there has to be more. And I don't think that we're capable of really knowing what that is. But so let, let me, okay, let me spin off of that okay. and, and be, and be, <laughs> be Mr. Engineer here and yeah. everything. Cause I yeah. definitely want to hear Eric's perspective on oh, yeah. this as well. So, you know, there, there's tons and tons of concepts and everything. So, you know, one thing that we don't understand is in very, it's very clear. It's very prominent right now, especially with like James Webb and all the discoveries that are happening with that, that we don't understand life in and of itself. You know, we have relative concepts of it. We've discovered, I think they've discovered an amino acid or a protein on some distant planet that's only created as a byproduct of life or that we know it, but, you know, Again, we're talking carbon life forms. How do we know there's yeah. not silica life forms or whatever? Whatever the case may be, 
when we bring this down to engineering into AI, you know, we call it artificial intelligence. And Renee, uh, you know, look at Conroy's, you know, game of life. Mm-hmm. You know, are we creating life? Is that zero and one or zeros and ones life? And Renee, am I committing murder when I reset yeah. an AI for being bad mm-hmm. to start over again? Am I considering, am I, you know, committing genocide when I shut down an entire school of thought and everyone evolves to another one, transformers to R, you know, RLHF or, you know, these types of things. There to me is a fantastic conversation and the melding of, you know, the artificial truly with the metaphysical, I guess would be a good word. (laughs) Yeah. Metaphysics. Definitely. Um, that's actually one of the foundational questions of my entire field. Like I'm not even joking, all of cognitive science, everyone who comes through the door studying this or working in this comes to the question, what is consciousness and what does it mean to be conscious? What does it mean to be alive? You know, and this is where actually, I don't think philosophy gets enough credit in the field of artificial intelligence. And Eric, I'm sure you can speak to this as well many, many of great experiments and systems have been derived from questions of people like Chalmers and Dennett and Nagel. And, you know, I mentioned Kant earlier and Hume as well. Like there's so many philosophers who have posed incredible questions that bring us to these, these moments where it's just like, are we, you know, what about philosophical zombies, right? Where they look like us, they breathe like us, they speak like us but they're not actually conscious. Would we recognize one in the wild? Would we recognize them among us? Do they exist among us? The half alive, half dead, not really present, you know? It's, it's so, like, it's so funny. Like, cause like I said, like, uh, we only have a finite amount of time on this earth. We're born in this culture yeah. and all this stuff. And like, I'm such like, I always like, di- I'm a sifter. I have to sift through like understanding this stuff. And I'm telling you like, even in Western culture, yeah, we have our own categorization to what it means somebody is like dead. It's so yeah. funny, like in terms of That's us. That's a like, really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like, like I can always like say something like biblically, or if we're going to talk about like what you would be considered a living dead or a zombie, or like, like I was it's so funny. I was going to mention um the prodigal son as uh as a as a great story similar to john's mustard seed and that always reminds me that if you ever want somebody to to do let's say somebody's doing a bad behavior to you mm-hmm. and you want them to change and i know you can get on people and be like you're bad you're bad the prodigal son always teaches me you have to accept somebody turning the turning around to do something good that's another part of like like change because many people somebody can like condemn so you can't condemn people you can say what somebody's doing is not bad, but you have to have the way for them to get back. And it's so funny because if we're going to talk about the prodigal son briefly, and I'm still on your point, is that um, there is this, and it's all it's an allusion to God as well too. But there's this uh, rich man. He has two sons. Uh, one's older, one's younger, and the son decides that he wants to take all of his inheritance and just go out into the world by himself. He doesn't want to be a part of the family anymore. He ends up going out. And he ends up blowing the money, like partying, like whatever, partying, doing like 
very like degenerate behavior. And he blows all the money, then he feels so much shame to the point that he's like eating garbage with people, eating garbage. And he says, how could I, it better off where I was. And then the one son was always dutiful. He's always listening to his dad. He's always there, he's working. And then this son returns. Uh-huh. And the dad says, let's have a party for him. Let's celebrate him. And the one son becomes so jealous of the other one. Cause he's like, what about me? I'm always doing what's good. How come you don't celebrate me? And he says, you should be happy because your brother was dead and now he's alive again. So in terms of biblical perspective, living without purpose means you're living dead. And also at, to be on Kate's thing, being conscious means actually being aware of what you're doing and having attention to what you're doing. So I feel like consciousness is, it's so bizarre when we talk about artificial intelligence because yeah. I feel like we could be pro, so it's so weird. I feel like we're an AI, but we are able to go against programming but can it still be adjusted? It's so bizarre, right? Because like, okay. isn't that weird? I, you know I what I mean? Because um, yeah. I, I love it, but what I would say is it comes back to agent-based cognitive modeling, where so, it's not necessarily going against it, but repurposing some of the structures we have in our brain to be applied to new problem spaces. And that's ingenuity. That's being creative with what we have and approaching problem spaces in in a smart and strategic way that's different than what it was before, right? Like you notice this with skills. So say for example, uh, you're a really good barista. You know, you're good at steaming milk. You're good at tamping down the grounds. You know, you're you make the perfect cup of coffee because you know exactly how much weight of that specific coffee ground to put inside when you're making something. You'll notice that a lot of these skills are useful in other areas and you may even find your body having that physiological memory in those steps applying them to different areas like a bartending or cooking at home for yourself like maybe you're better able to juggle the sauces or flip things in a pan because you have that that physical relationship with your body and a skill of creating something in front of you and i think that's kind of like Sorry? So we're feet a household of engineers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have a question after you're done. Continue. Oh, yeah, of course. No, it's it's to your point, Eric. And it's it's saying that, you know, like us, yeah, in a lot of ways, I do see us like AI because I build AI like us. So maybe to me, it's the same difference. We're like meat computers. I see us using what we have and trying to make it more. And that's that's growing. That's growth. And it's not always comfortable. And sometimes we do it wrong. Like when we apply biases, you know, uh, that's an incorrect application of a rule, a general rule that we've learned and, and we end up with the wrong response. But when you're the living dead, it's when you don't realize you're wrong and you don't challenge yourself and you just like live in that, that mindset where you're just running off of heuristics and biases and like, kind of like on autopilot, you know what I mean? But when, if you're really trying to to grow and to change and you're getting uncomfortable and like the best way possible. Uh, that's when you're living. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah go on. Cool. But it's so funny. I want to ask you guys. So that's what's so weird to me because like, um, I was at some event and somebody was talking about like mm-hmm. the importance of, uh, mental health. I got to plug my mm-hmm. computer, mental Which health. And yeah. I always wonder like when we're having mental health issues, like the main reason some people are starting to worry is because for some reason when it comes to us human beings as well too like yeah why can we sink to a certain point 
where we think of self-termination. I, I want to know where that fits in terms of our our programming. And that's why I feel mm-hmm. like I think when it comes to like things like um, dissociative mental disorder or even yeah. even um, quote unquote delusion, I feel yeah. like certain things are built into us for a safety mechanism. So we can just yeah. we have to believe something that continues our existence, no matter what it is, I feel like. It's a very human description, very humanization of what we refer to as hallucinations, mm-hmm. um, where basically the AI can't make the probability pred- predictions. There's no heuristics for it. So it just kind of makes it up. It, it, it lies with confidence. For <laughs> AI hallucinations, not human hallucinations. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm the I'm engineer, so I assume I you think I want to know how this trend. So, John's right. So, I'm asking this because I want to know how this translates to the AI brain. Because yeah. if this modeling human, I'm so, assuming they have these, they have to start. Here's, here's the thing. They're programming somehow, but continue. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, there, there's there's really, there's a lot goes into kind of what, what I call like the digital brain or like the core componentry of it. But like, you know, at the base of it, it's nothing more in algorithms and models in terms of like Kate is talking about models. So, you know, these are the systems that make up things in, in a world. But the big thing is, the the next two steps it's the data so you know you everyone knows the adage you know garbage in garbage out um and then it's the trainings and the optimizations there's there's a finite space you know the human brain is something that's amazing because it can make connections where there wasn't want connections to be made and then Mm -hmm. it can strengthen them even more uh ptsd is a great example of this Mm -hmm. um you know, and that's kind of a negative one. I'm sure there's positives too, but that's what pops in my head. So yeah. when you're talking about that, it's about, you know, the data has a natural bias to it. Um, that's it, very, very apparent right now that, you know, visual AIs have uh, anyone of dark colored skin it struggles with or anyone um, of, you know, even women in some cases, so, so people with very feminine features that has a problem um, associating to those things. But I think more than anything, and it goes back to what I always, I always make a joke with it and everyone laughs at me thinking I'm kidding, but I'm not, is the data that's available to us, um, if you would feed it information about say self-termination or something chances are it would head down that road if you reinforced it enough great example of this is what i refer to as every ai is racist (laughs) because of the polarization of the human just human nature i mean and it's it's be it positive or negative a computer you know, there are areas, you know, Kate alluded to it in the last episode that, you know, you may lean into the negative at, you know, 0.487, but you're still in that negative. And if you stay there, the way the math works, the way linear regression works is you're going to consistently follow for more and more negative. That's why I always say interacting with an AI, it almost needs to self-terminate. <laughs> You know, so you're not to be cruel. 
really good points there that I want to kind of expand on. And the first one is you're right in that sometimes the negative can be self-indulgent. And when I say self-indulgent, I mean like comfortable for people. Uh, It can be rewarding in that maybe your social circle rewards your complaining or uh, behavior that's self-sabotaging or self-destructive or even destructive to your relationships, friends, and family. Maybe there's some sort of reward you're getting internal or external. Uh, And when I say internal, I mean, again, comfortable, uh, not having to change. It's familiar. It's a feeling you know. uh, It's better the monster you know than the one you don't kind of situation. And uh, again, social circles oftentimes can help perpetuate a lot of these Various um, and and again, there's there's a difference between uh, neurobiological depression and social depression. Not not really social. It's like um, you can have episodes like depress depressive episodes, and they're often brought on by events and so on and so forth. But um, kind of coming back to to the whole uh, self destruction mode as well. I think. And it's funny, we're, we were talking about religion earlier, purpose, AI and humans alike need purpose. An agent can't run without a goal. And this is a lot actually in the work that John and I have been doing for our personal fun project of Exassi AI, our, uh, our company. We've been building this really interesting tool that I, I can't speak too much about, but purpose and goals are a huge part of the architecture, much like they've been a part of architectures current and past. Like if you look at Gomps, it's an old architecture from the eighties that still holds up. Like it's, it's very fascinating. It's a way of building AI, almost like a, like a map to building very good AI that can predict human behavior or perform complex tasks. And the G, the first thing stands for goals. It's goals, operators, methods, and selection rules. This is how the brain of the AI operates. Those are the components of what the brain needs to perform. So when you talk about a human heading down a path to self-destruction, sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's, you know, a chemical imbalance that needs to be, you know, augmented with pharmaceuticals or psychopharmacology analysis. Is it a mindset shift that can be helped with CBT, DBT, or a shift of social circle and, you know, uh, rhetoric and narrative being told to them in their environment, or is it something where they're lacking purpose and a sense of self really in, in human terms, I believe, where they don't feel like they have any goals or any goals that they're emotionally tied to succeeding at. And when I say emotionally tied for us humans, we, we often feel like a, uh, if you're lucky, you feel a calling or you feel passion or like this emotional tie to doing things or being around people in your life. And it could be showing up for your family or the job that you do between the hours of five and seven in the morning before you go to your job that pays the bills. You know, Um, for an AI, this could be that reinforcement feedback loop that John was talking about. Maybe it gets a positive impact every time it acquires a new skill. But this also comes down to the designer. And we talked a bit about this in the last episode too, and I promise I'll take a pause in a second, is that if you're doing a model in terms of like how I would build a model with completeness and faithfulness principles, if my model has goals, it has to have reward and also quote unquote punishment, not the way you're thinking of it, but it has to have good, bad, and neutral 
all along a spectrum scale of percentage value in order to accurately perform, not perform, or, you know, kind of, I guess, autonomously walk through a goal. I think that, that you even touched on something. I think I touched in the very first episode when I was talking yeah. about m- making an AI at play snake and it discovered that if you just stayed close to yeah. the apple, you still, you got rewarded enough. It didn't need the overall reward because the difference yeah. wasn't enough, which is something that we see quite a bit in you know, society people. right now yeah. where people are just like, I just want to stay to status quo. They want to coast. They want to survive. And it, it depends. Mm. Do you want that, like to take that chance really too? And we talk a lot about probability because it's a huge part of the human and artificial intelligence system, right? Like, well, do you want it? Sorry, yeah, Eric? You guys are giving me such like, like, I'm getting like these new insights of like- Oh yeah, know, sure, please. Society and all these kind of things. And like, I feel like we live in such a complex age with mm-hmm. such limited options for so many things that, okay even though we have more technology and all these things, I feel like the gulf to get to certain basic needs are, is like this wide. Because now to come mm-hmm. back to like that Garden of Eden or something like that, or just like the human being's purpose, I feel like right. we know our purpose in terms of self-sustainability. Mm-hmm. But like- Is that a purpose or is that a goal? Where everything's easy. Since we live in a world where everything's easy, where like, I don't have to go plant and get my food. I just go to the grocery store where I don't have to do this. I feel like we feel lack of purpose because our basic needs are met in such a certain way that now we can kind of do whatever. Cause if this was right. like back in the day, if I wake up, maybe I have to go tend to my, my, my garden or my farm. And that's what I'm doing so I can eat because many times now people have to work a job for 40 hours a week yeah. that they don't like just to eat. And now instead yeah. of building your home and all of these kind of things, now somebody is taking on a mortgage and now they're doing all of these things for mm-hmm. the basic principle of- You've, What you're talking you know I mean? about is removing the w- reward, the, the self-satisfaction and everything. This really kind of dips into what's popular right now is the blue zones. You know, I mean, the, it, it can kind of be, it, I had this conversation with Kate and I's uh, other business partner earlier last week. And uh, we came up because he, he was picking on me because I was working outside and doing a new uh, doing a new walkway coming into the house. And mm-hmm. something that that I appreciate, something that comes that I bring in, you know, to I, like I'm I'm passionate about what I do as a software engineer, more so mm-hmm. now with AI because of the influence that that I can either have or perpetuate or and that type of stuff. But what it really boils down to, though there's something that I feel is lacking in, in technology in and of itself. I've stated that I can pick out your code because it's like poetry, but a majority of the poetry I read isn't Yeats or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. It It's honestly, it's like a child's poetry and majority of the time, but it works and that's fine. Nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. But the problem is there's no craftsmanship in technology. Mm-hmm. No one cares about the end result if the end result does what it's supposed to do doesn't even have to do it right. You know, we see that, uh, you know, I can bring in Schrodinger into this. I can deliver software that, and I can confidently say it has no bugs. You know why it has no bugs? Because I don't know they're there yet. <laughs> but 
Well, that's an interesting thing about no one cares too, right? Like there, there are some people who care. And I think that's a lot of the art in, in having a lot of It's, it's few and far between. There's, at least in my recent experience, because there's so much money in what we do. That's fair. People come here for the wrong reasons. And, yeah. and going to what you were saying, Eric, I, I think, you know, I do have chickens every day. I get fresh eggs every morning. You know, I eat, egg, we eat a lot of eggs. Um, but there's something absolutely amazing about a chicken egg that was laid 24 hours ago versus what you get in the grocery store. The eggs are, you know, the yolks are bright orange. It's, they're creamier. They're buttery. Mm-hmm. Because what a lot of people don't realize is the eggs that you get are six, sometimes eight weeks old before they get to you. Mm-hmm. So they water yeah. it down. And software is kind of similar in the fact that it does get watered down. We see mm-hmm. this in AI, it gets watered down. Everyone has probably read that GPT became stupid in math because people were reinforcing it with incorrect stuff, most likely, or asking it things that made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord knows I've done that a few times. And you kind of create um, kind of an artificial stupidity that's not the right word but it it resonates it's an artificial data set really it's like teaching someone the wrong information and then laughing when they get the question right by the yeah. wrong metric right well, yeah. the, the, the comedian that's picking on the person in the front row to get a rise out of everyone else you know the, it, it goes back to something that i wanted to touch on with what you were saying eric is put an ai in a geopolitical state you know now all of a sudden you've got an interesting concept here because an AI shouldn't terminate another human being, but if the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, what happens? You know, you can't do that. That's that's a decision. You know, if it's, if it's a dictatorship, that's an easy decision. If it's a democratic decision or even a republic decision, Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much. Where's the gray area? What is the needs of the many versus the needs of the few? Why does so, the needs of the few outweigh, not outweigh the needs of the many? You know, because it yeah. could be the other way. Those types of things. So I'm glad we don't program that into the AI. <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, that concept of self-termination or even a self-awareness. I don't think it needs to be there yet. Okay. My brain immediately goes to narrative, right? So above goals and what we would call kind of like the planning unit area within a cognitive agent architecture under the terms that I work with there above there is values. Mm -hmm. And I think we can all identify with this as human beings. And maybe one of those values that you were talking about there is, you know, with AI could be like, uh, do not harm a human being unless absolutely necessary under X, Y, and Z conditions. And I I think there's something really interesting about the idea of narrative because narrative is life, right? Like I am the story of all that I have been and all that I can remember. And I believe it was uh, Locke, the philosopher who wrote about the apple and remembering being the person who ate the apple, but not remembering being in that moment of experiencing eating the apple. And at what point do you stop being the same person? These stories that we tell ourselves that connect our lives and our experiences together and feed up and down throughout the top down, bottom up pathways of existence kind of are are governed by these values of what we consider to be important in life, right? We, We live under 
almost like a, a chosen set of morals and value views and different people hold different values. It's part of what makes us distinct, right? And I think it's also part of what governs this reward cycle that we keep talking about too, explicitly or implicitly. Like I will get more reward to myself if I do something by my values. Like I'll be late for an appointment if it means helping someone who fell down on the street pick up their groceries. Like I was walking the other day and someone like the bottom of their grocery bag came out and all their stuff went everywhere. And like, I live in downtown Toronto. So like immediately I was like, oh my goodness, like ran over to help. And I was just like, that, that sounds like a bad day. You know, if I stop, take two minutes out of my day, that person's gonna have a slightly less horrible day because, you know, they weren't alone in this moment and, and maybe it went a little bit better than it could have. You know, and that to me is a value of mine that if I can help, I will help. That also means to my capacity. Do I have the capacity to help all that stuff? Moral of the story, ha ha ha, pun intended. Um, you know, values are a big part of where we get our reward and they govern what our goals are and they govern our decisions. Cause I could have made the decision to just keep walking. My goal could have been, don't be late. And my value could be, I'm a punctual person. And maybe that value was higher than the idea of helping somebody else or, you know, even noticing that they may need help. Maybe I wouldn't have even noticed if I had a different value governing my goals because then my perceptual system and my cognitive mechanisms wouldn't even have been registering that as something to pay attention to. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting when you say that, when it comes to like, whatever my general philosophy or like worldview. Mm. It's my favorite book because like, according to the book, like our, the biggest human, the biggest limitation to like human beings is our actual physical body. Like we die, um, we, we do harm. I feel that every morning. With, with these, we do harm <laughs> with these kind of things. So it's so funny because one of my favorite movies, like uh, Ghost in the Shell or Ghost in the Shell 2, there starts to be spiritual movements based on artificial intelligence and even terms coined such as digital nirvana. Because many people think that like your consciousness, like removing your consciousness from the physical body is the yeah. next step in human evolution. I, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of like this philosophy. Yeah, no, it, it, and, and with the fun, it, you know, not to, not to diminish the light here, but one of the best examples of what, how I foresee it is if you watch the comedy on uh, Amazon called Upload. <laughs> I've obviously heard lots of things about it, but yeah. So the, the, the concept behind it, and I, and I know there's research going into this. That's why it makes me chuckle, um, is, you know, when you're going to die or rate, or when you do die and everything, it's kind of like rather you're, you no longer have a life insurance policy. You have an upload policy and everything. And if they can get you to a certain place at a certain, at rapid enough time, they basically use this giant laser to dissect your brain immediately. And they upload you into this virtual world, but it's based on your economic ability in the afterlife on how nice your afterlife actually is. Like you have to pay for bandwidth just to exist and stuff like that. Yeah, it's very it's a capitalism in the afterlife. I'm like, well, how is this possible? But it, it, oh it honestly, this... there's a reality to it. And, right, yeah. and there is research going into this. Oh, yeah. So they could do it. Have you ever heard of, um, what's another What's another one? You ever heard of the movie The Congress with Robin Wright? Yes. 
Yeah, so the movie The Congress Robin Wright is it's, it's it's like loosely based on her, but what's happening is I think she has a son with cerebral palsy, and she doesn't want to like just be away because when you go work on movies, you're away for six months, twelve months, whatever. So she's like, I just want to chill with my son. I don't need to do this anymore. So there's a new technology that can scan her likeness and now digitally upload her, and now they can start using her image if she sells the rights to this to like the studio. Mm. And they start doing that. So she sells it. And then they start using her image. She starts making money. Then like years pass. And now it's time for her to uh, re-sign the contract. But in the future, it's so weird because people are existing in this plane where you can take some sort of pill and then you go into this like consciousness hallucination where everybody's digitally animated. And that's where like half of the movie exists. So it's so bizarre in terms of like how we communicate, like even right now, like this, this, like, I can tell you in terms of like archaic beliefs, this, what we're doing right now is only akin to like magic. This is mirror, mirror on, I always tell my friends, I joke on them. I'm like, yeah, like I can pick up my phone and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, give Kate and John a call. And as soon as I put this, I literally see them over yeah. here. And that's when I'm like, there's some sort of like thing beyond our understanding in terms of our science, technology, and the wizardry or sorcery of it. Because if we were to okay. ever go back in time and show somebody this, we're getting burned easily. Yeah. Oh, straight up, we're witches. Uh, this actually reminds me, oh my goodness, I love, love, love this, Eric, that you brought that up because. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation that I had with an old friend and my advisor where we were chit-chatting about holistic medicine and how it all seems the same to someone who doesn't know any better. And I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm saying it in the availability of knowledge and understanding is such a key component to the decisions that we make in everyday life. Like if you don't understand basic human physiology and biology and the way that psychopharmacology or pharmaceuticals work inside your system, you're going to go to the place and they'll say, this is going to help you with your cold. And you'll be like, okay, cool. This is how, what's going to help me. You know, an antibiotic and vitamin C may not seem that different to you if you don't understand the technology behind it or strains of viruses or bacterias or whatever it is that you're dealing with at that time. And it can really look so similar to people if they don't have that knowledge about it. And when you talk about technology looking like magic, absolutely. I'm sitting in a room far away from these two other human beings having a conversation. My dog probably thinks I'm just going bananas because I'm just talking at this like plastic object kind of thing in front of me. You know, he's like, why aren't you playing with me? You know, um, but Meanwhile, we're having this conversation over sound waves, over internet, all, all of these, like, it's, it's wild. And if you take away all the understanding of the technology, it's magic, just like medicine to people who don't have access to that knowledge to understand it. It looks like magic, like it all looks the same, you know? Yeah. And it, it builds of, on like, what I've said. Go ahead, John. Uh, I was going to say, builds on what I've said before is like, we don't have the math yet. And everything and we, if we ever will there's some people who say we'll never have the maths that will oh. allow us to figure out and 
you know, basically duplicate the, the engineering of the human brain and that type of cognition. Um, one of the things that I learned not too long ago that fascinated me was the fact that, you know, I'm every day of my life, I live in the past because it takes about one tenth of a second for the light to enter my eye and my brain to process yeah. it. So I live in the past. But here's the thing. Can we simulate the fact that when something flies toward my eye, that my eye can react in less than a thousandth of a second? despite my brain hasn't had a chance to process it. Those okay. types of things so, are where, where I sit there and I'm, I'm fascinated by. Okay, so this is a really cool, sorry, I'm gonna pass the mic to you in a second, Eric. Yeah. Um, I needed to jump in because it's a really cool cognitive science moment where there's top down and bottom up pathways. A lot of people don't realize that the way you register a thought can come from different places. And I think this is so absolutely cool. This is where I started geeking out about my shit because it's like a top down reaction could be, say, I think of the worst case scenario and all of a sudden I'm getting in my head about it and I'm replaying and replaying and I've got this anxiety loop going. It generated with a thought inside my head, but all of a sudden my heart is beating faster. My hands are getting clammy and I'm starting to get sweaty and I'm getting nervous about something because I had a thought that led to a body reaction. This is a top down communication in your body, but then you have bottom up. And so this is what John was kind of talking about. If I stab myself with a pen, um, or actually, no, that doesn't work. If Eric stabs me with a pen <laughs> and I don't see it coming, or, you know, if I stub my toe, there's going to be pain reactions going off. Yeah. My C fibers will be firing. My body is going to know it before I register what hit me. If you've ever stepped on a piece of Lego or one of your dog's bones. Oh my gosh. A, 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 mine, mine is a, a plug. Like, you know what I mean? The, oh, oh, my, oh, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. It's visceral. It's so <laughs> painful. But you're looking around just like, what the? What did I just step on? What is this cursed object out to get me? It jumped at me, I swear. You know, um, but that's a bottom up communication where your body, and we, we when we say top down, bottom up, it's in that systems level hierarchy. So if you go to our channel, the AI impressions and check out the short that I did on system levels, you'll learn more about it there. But for the sake of time, uh, yeah, so that's the difference between bottom up and top down. So what you're saying, John, about like the eye reactions and things like that and how it's happening before you even know it's happening. It's such an interesting point of discussion, especially when we talk about values, prioritizing the way each one of our systems kind of evaluates the importance of things in our environment. Because there's no way you can see everything. It builds yeah. into other things too. You know, I said the maths don't exist. You know, you're, you're talking about those systems and intertwined systems. That to me is a multimodal approach. So you're going to have a bunch of discrete AIs just talking amongst one another from an engineering perspective. That's how I say it. But the other side of things, internet, is we don't have the data. I don't think there's enough data. And I don't uh -huh. think of what we do have, I don't think it's the right data. Um, it's not to say that it's bad data though. Okay. It's just not the right for the concept and everything. And I, again, this is one of those things goes to values too. It's in the eye of the beholder. You know, this is the right day. There's that values thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you guys are like making my brain do jumping jacks over here. Because <laughs> there's all this like, oh, do share. I have. And I feel like, so you guys are programmers, like language is important. And I feel like, I think in our last episode, 
uh, Kate was saying that like, it's gonna be hard for us, like it's impossible to like know God and these kind of things. And it's so funny because in terms of the book, it's supposed to, we're supposed to be able to learn from observing our life, literally. It's like, you should know me by observing the world. And I feel like with the way we think about AI and stuff like that, we're getting closer to understanding like how God works. That's what I really feel. That's why, that's why I'm fascinated with it. That's because, really beautiful. Because it's so, there's so many like cross similarities. It's like, it's like so bizarre because to program these things that we can start talking, we use a programming language. That's correct, yeah. right? You have to input this language and then it becomes this active agent that's like doing things, correct? And then also one thing I had to do when we start talking about spirituality and all these kind of mm -hmm. things, one, one worldview that I feel like is very damaging mm. to our perspective of life is that we consider earth, uh, or whatever earth or our universe earth. I let, let me just go with earth. We live on earth is that we consider earth a planet instead of a realm. Ooh, oh, I love this. Okay, sidebar. Right now, we're on dimensions of reality and new. We transfer because, yeah. from my perspective, I just told, I'll just always tell you my perspective because, like, I'm like living it with you. So right now, yeah. me and so like okay. we have, in my opinion, so like I right now I'm in Earth realm over here. Yeah, we have logged on to the internet realm, and that's where we're meeting. Yes. Life. It's where your locus of reality is. And some people live with their, their center realm being in technology. And you can see it from the way that they dress or the way they do their makeup or something. It's not made for the physical realm here. So here's my it's other thing. So I yeah. feel like, like, and I, it's so funny. I did my background in science or whatever like that. Like whenever I make spiritual like arguments, there's the strongest argument that our spirit is easily tied to a different realm because it does not function based on the physics of the earth realm. I can go back in time. I can go back in history. I can transport over here. I can literally feel and sense things. And it's so bizarre. Cause like right now, like I know in terms of my physical body, I can't travel back to 1986. I could do it in my mind like that. In terms of my physical body, position. I can travel to so it was so weird because like I was so my cousin's getting married December 9th, right? For example, my, my cousin's getting married December 9th. And I'm looking at the calendar and I open up the calendar and I'm looking at it. And today is September 14th, for example, right? And I'm like, just in terms of the way we live our life, even though we're here today, we are operating based on the principle that that day exists already which is yeah. like such a weird phenomenon to me in terms of how we create our, our perspective and like our life and the same way we created this podcast by talking about it. So it's so funny that like you literally speak things into existence in a certain way where like we're own, like our perspective of like um, our time limitations and our physical limitations have to be illusionary if you really look at it. In uh, yeah, time is an experience as much as it as much as it is something that we we believe exists in our world, right? Like, if you think about a minute of time, 
when you're struggling to breathe on a treadmill as you hit your fifth kilometer of running and you're just, oh my goodness, watching the seconds go by in front of you versus a minute when you're doing something really fun or hanging out with your friends or going out dancing and you're just like, oh my goodness, it's been a minute. Like, are you kidding? This song is already over. What just happened? You know, the context in which we experience time and what's going on in our minds or even just being in the moment with our experience rather than locked up inside our overthinking traps, you know, it's, yeah. it's so fascinating. Yeah. So according, like according to like my favorite book, a thousand years experienced by a human is equivalent to like one day in the heavenly realms. I love that. And I think uh, as a huge like fantasy and sci-fi nerd and fan, you know, the idea that time passes differently for different creatures and and people and entities and even you know what not even being a nerd looking at dogs you know i obviously i have a dog and he experiences time differently than i do then dogs experience time differently than any of us but why are dogs so popular like what makes a dog the ideal like and 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 that's why i'm saying like i'm not gonna try to argue i just look at the stats i look at the board (laughs) and i'm like everybody knows Dogs are the Michael Jordan of like pets. I don't know what it is. I, I don't want yeah, to. Cats are assholes. And like, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Like, I grew up and like we had the term like man's best friend for like mm-hmm. a dog, right? But I'll tell you one thing. Every man wants a woman to look like treat him like a woman treats a dog. Like the way you like the if you know what I mean. Sometimes ladies can call a guy a dog, and I'm like, yo, if you treated us like dogs, though, we wouldn't even like say nothing. Oh, well, you hungry? You want this? If y'all treated us like your dogs treat us, then you would be treated just the same. But uh, I want to like back up just a second yeah. here because you know, you talked about how these, these conversations make you think about God and the idea of creating something, and I, uh, for another time, we're running out of time here, actually. Um, I want to talk a bit more about creating AI with emotions because it's it's a huge area. It's a huge thing. Um, but for now, developing AI and cognitive architectures enables us to learn more about ourselves, really, and see inside a lot of black boxes that even the greatest technologies we have at this time, humbly stated in 2023, don't even allow us to see. You know, there's only so much that fMRIs or EEG machines can can give us insight into. And sometimes building a model based off of those principles or hooking it up even, using computers in addition to these, these models enable us to learn more about what it means to be human, what it means to experience, you know, what it means to feel pain and why we all feel pain differently. You know, all of these different things. And I think that's, it's a really cool part of being human to learn more about what it means to be human through this stuff. Like, I don't know. I just think it's amazing. From, from an engineering perspective, I mean, we've, we've definitely delved into places that, you know, with AI for the better that I probably never would have, but I'm a big reader, you know, much like Eric and, and, and some of the conversation that we're having here is bringing up, um, even Nietzsche. Um, but what's really kind of popping in my head is if you've ever read Denial of Death from Ernest Becker, entering, and it's it's basically like a psychologist approach. He was, I, I believe he worked with Freud, um, but for the most part, he kind of fell out of favor. He got fired from a bunch of things, but then he ended up with 
life-threatening cancer. Well, I mean, basically he was going to die from it and everything and got a job and started really looking into death. And I, I find that fascinating uh, in this conversation, in this context and, and get taken back to that because this is an avenue that I'm not entirely sure has been pursued as far as like the AI conversation outside of, you know, possibly just offices and small conferences and that type of thing. But it is something that probably in due time will have to be programmed in because the understanding that the creator will disappear or the AI will continine to exist. And I like, yeah, on that note, my, my head just melted. So oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I have it's the movie. opposite have of theology. Recommendation. <laughs> I have a movie recommendation. It's uh, called um, Across Plus. It's called Movie Edition. And it has to do with memories and history and community and also AI. I'll tell you, the, I'll, I'll briefly tell us uh, the synopsis of it. And funny enough, uh, one of the main characters is voiced by Brian Cranston. Oh, nice. And, uh, and then, uh, but... I'll, I'll leave a description down low because we need to sign off. And um, we've done two episodes today and um, we're going to continue to uh, have these long conversations because uh, it goes so many different places and it's, it's blowing my mind and it's giving me new insights. Blowing and, my and mind. It's, it's good for uh, everybody listening. And uh, yeah, we'll sign us off with this uh, episode five. Woo! AI Impressions. I think I think next time we'll dig into linguistics. We'll we'll dig ah, in. We'll, ah. we'll tie this all back together and start talking about you know what is it that we're facing right now with like ChatGPTs and large language models and what these things are and everything and how the symbolism plays into it and stuff like that. I, I think that would be a good continued conversation. And before you leave, uh, uh, Mister <laughs> Mister Namesake, I want to uh, Mister John. I want to quote uh, John. Uh, chapter one, <laughs> verse one, and it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So that's how interesting language is in terms of oh, even spiritual yeah. beliefs. Yeah. So we'll talk about that later. In terms yeah, of how language... that'll definitely be in the conversation. Exactly, next Mr. John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much. This is so much fun. I'm excited. I'm excited, Joe. Yeah. And we'll also remind me to talk about Nomen Omens next time. Okay, let me make a note for you. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> exactly. Nomen omens. Your name right. predicts how you're going to be. My name.